I'm Tisha Bader, and in the news, a historic trade agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, the first of its kind between Israel and an Arab country. Well, to discuss the significance of this agreement, which was signed on May the 31st in Dubai, and what it means for the future of the region, is Dorian Barak, co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council the largest organization connecting the Israeli and Emirati business and professional communities. Dorian joins us now from Dubai here on JBS. Dorian, thank you so much. Thank you, Tisha. Great to be with you. Thank you. So first, talk about the deal, if you can, and just explain what it entails and what it hopes to perhaps ease and improve upon. Let me give you a little bit of factual background, which I think will help you frame the, uh, the significance of this. We at the UIBC, the UAE Israel Business Council, estimated roughly $2 billion in trade between Israel and the UAE this year. That's up from $50 million in 2020. So it's an enormous increase. We're talking an order of magnitude greater. And yet, it actually seems to be bigger than we estimated. We now forecast uh, $2.5 to $3 billion this year, with a $1 billion just in the first three months of 2022. These are enormous numbers. And to support this growth, to support the, the enormity of the trade between the countries, they have decided to put in place to define the trade relations in much more detail by establishing a free trade agreement, which really defines IP protection, export rules, taxation, and a host of other factors, technical factors, that are necessary to support the business that's growing between the countries. That's amazing. I mean, you, you talk about this rapid growth. Um, what do you think accounts for the, this kind of an increase that you said you've seen just in the past year? Well, there really, I think, are three things that have been driving the growth. The first, and I think most simple, is that there's been a lot of excitement. Israel has a lot of great products and services, and UAE is a distribution point for many products and capabilities from across the world. So it was natural that countries would come together and that business people from each country would meet each other and they'd find opportunities to collaborate. Just think of medical devices, pharmaceuticals, Israeli consumer goods. Until now, these were really locked out of one of the greatest business hubs in the world, UAE, which serves as kind of a gateway, let's say, to the greater Middle East, to South Asia, and by that I mean India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and, and everything in the surrounding areas, and the Far East as well. So just opening up the trade between the countries allowed a lot of Israeli products to come into this market, and a lot of products from elsewhere, through Dubai mainly, but also through the UAE more broadly, to be shipped to Israel. That's the first factor. The second factor is that there was a lot of trade actually between Israel and UAE, which happened uh, below the surface. People didn't speak about it. It was done through third countries. I've been active here for well over a decade. There was a large business community of Israelis that were doing stuff with Emiratis. And in fact, the UAE Israel Business Council was established before the peace was actually signed in early 2020 really as a forum for Emirati and Israeli business people who are already engaging with one another to have a more formal structure to do so. And the third factor, which I think is maybe the most exciting and long-term will be the most important, is that a lot of Israelis, understanding now what an important business hub the UAE is, are seeing it as kind of a second home. It's the place where they set up businesses, a launch pad, so to speak, east of Israel, where they can effectively serve with the amazing talent and transportation links and logistics they can effectively serve the greater Middle East, South Asia, and the Far East from here. So you talk about creating the council before the Abraham Accords were signed, which was August of, of 2020. So what sure. for you was 
the impetus or when did you start thinking maybe the Emirates is, is the place to be? Where Was there something specific that happened or was this something that was growing within you over time? I've always been very open in working in the UAE and in the Gulf region about my origins. I live in Israel. My family's in Israel. I'm a Jew. And people knew that right away when they met me. And one of the questions I very often got was, can you introduce us to others like you? How many others are there like you who are operating here? And in fact, there were many. And that was really the anchor for business before the Abraham Accords were signed. It was people-to-people business. It didn't require government mediation. Sure, there were certain issues. There were no direct flights. But it was actually possible to engage in trade. So we felt at the UIBC that it was kind of a one of those opportunities that no one had done it before, but really the reality called for it. So we established it. I did it together with my co-founder, Fleur Hassan Nahum, who is the deputy mayor of Jerusalem and has been very, very active in promoting Israeli ties with the Arab world. We decided to actually launch it. We did it in a very quiet way. But when the accords were signed, we went public with it and we opened it more broadly to new people who were interested in exploring this relationship. So talk for a minute a little more about being a Jew and Israeli in this part of the world. Were there any difficulties you faced or things that surprised you about that, your identity and how it was received in in the UAE? Well, the UAE is an incredibly open and tolerant market. People do not, the government authorities do not tolerate any type of prejudice or discrimination. I always felt very comfortable here. I never felt any threat to my safety. People knew, of course, that I was a Jew. It was something they celebrated as opposed to uh, regretted. Um, And I think you've seen this with many Israelis who have come here. They've been really greeted with open arms. I think we have a lot to be be appreciative for. It's been uh, a great start to, uh, I think, what will be one of Israel's most important strategic and business relationships. So when the accords were signed in August, did that impact what you're doing or anything about the the atmosphere of being there? It's a good question. I mean, everything changed overnight. Suddenly we could do it out in the open. Very soon afterwards, there were direct flights. A lot of the what I call pent-up demand, curiosity, real opportunity that people foresaw, uh, suddenly they had a chance to act on it without any discomfort. Is it something the government would oppose? Would their employees be disturbed by it? Is it something that would have a public relations uh, uh, implication for them that they didn't want? The second the accords were declared, I think all of that fell away within just a few months. And I think today, Israelis are really making themselves part of the fabric of the business community here. Well, what's so interesting, I think, about the accords is they were called normalization agreements, right? And I just think that word, that term is actually carries so much significance and weight to it because the moment that someone views speaking with Israel, doing business with Israel as normal, as accepted, it it seems like it opens up so many other opportunities, possibly even for, you know, peace with the Palestinians down the road. Or, you know, there are, it seems like there are ripple effects, which obviously you're seeing every day to this kind of normalization um, with the Emirates, and as we've seen other Arab countries have, have followed suit. Do you, do you see that? How do you, how do you view that in your experience? Well, it's exactly as you described it. There really has been normalization. When I say normalization, I mean, it's beyond just trading in goods and services and people visiting lovely Dubai hotels. It goes way beyond that. You have collaboration among civil society groups, cultural groups, religious groups, 
you have environmental initiatives, uh, you have um, uh, renewable initiatives, you have uh, the fintech community. We just actually hosted a cyber conference, an online conference with the leading lights of Israel's cyber community and the leading lights of the Emirati cyber community speaking together. And afterwards, obviously, after our webinar, they got together directly to talk about common threats and common approaches to challenges they face. There's been collaboration literally at all levels. Um, and it is normalization, as you described. I mean, you actually feel that it's very normal to be an Israeli here. Uh, today, I, I saw a number of Hasids walking down the street. Um, it's obviously very, very hot here. And uh, the first thought I, I, that came to mind is, why is, why is no one really looking at them with, uh, with a curious stare? They were just received like anyone else. There are over 200 nationalities here. It's a very tolerant, very diverse society. And I think we've been welcomed like any other community here. So interesting. So are you there full time now, Dorian? Are you there for part of the year? What is your what is your life like? I split my time between the two countries. I'm actually flying to Israel tomorrow, uh, but I'm here very, very often. I have business interests here for many years, which have continued and flourished after the Abraham Accords. I'm not sure they would have. I'm not sure there would have been any material difference, though, because I was already here and already active. Um, and I think many of the what we call the old timers have found that not much has changed practically other than it's a little bit easier and there are fewer raised eyebrows. But the way we've been treated on an individual level, on a personal level, the tolerance with which we've been uh, treated, I don't think that's changed at all. Uh, I think it's we've just been kind of normalized before we were kind of special and unique, esoteric. Um, and today there are many of us, which is um, which is a wonderful thing to witness. So you talk about the people-to-people -people relationships and that kind of connection that you've experienced from the beginning. Can you give us an example of just someone you've met there, uh, people that you've met there that you have maybe learned something about their culture and they've learned something about what it means to be an Israeli and what that exchange was like? Well, as you may know, I'm very active in the environmental community. I brought an environmental group from Israel, a semi-governmental group, and I paired them with a counterpart, which is also a submarine governmental group that's very interested in reintroducing extinct species to the region. Israel being in the Eastern Mediterranean with borders with Syria and Jordan and Egypt is kind of a perfect place if you want to repopulate birds or repopulate other animals. And we were sitting uh, at a sheikh's house uh, recently, uh, breaking bread together, celebrating what has been accomplished. And I think it was kind of one of the best illustrations of what can be achieved here within Essentially, within less than two years, you already have environmental initiatives at the governmental level, reintroduction of species from you know, across the Middle East onto the Eastern Mediterranean to Israel's shores, cooperation around turtles and, and, and land mammals and birds. I use this as an, a kind of a, a microcosm of the way relations are developing. Of course, there are many commercial parallels as well. An Israeli fintech company called Rapid recently established essentially a second headquarters here in the UAE and is hiring locals. So it's become quite normal, um, but always exciting to see this, uh, this succeed. Do you see this people-to-people -people acceptance? How do you see the ripple effects of that, hopefully, ideally, affecting the region as a whole, affecting other Arab countries? As I mentioned before, obviously, the Israel-Palestinian conflict is the, is the most uh, difficult um, relationship that Israel has. Um, do you have any kind of flickering of this could trickle down and ultimately have a positive effect? 
the big picture kind well, of me, thing. Let, let me give you a few anecdotal examples as well as statistics or facts, uh, which I think illustrate the, the promise and the opportunity the Abraham Accords have created. So first of all, trade between Israel and Egypt and trade between Israel and Jordan has doubled since the Abraham Accords were signed, which means there is indeed a ripple effect. Israel has been normalized. It's much more natural for people to trade with Israel. There's much less stigma. That's the first. That's the statistical example. The other is more anecdotal. I'm hearing from people here that you're seeing Israeli products showing up on store shelves in Oman, in Saudi, in Iraq, all through Dubai distribution or through UAE distribution. You're also seeing Israeli products in Pakistan. You've seen delegations of Pakistani journalists and civil society figures coming to Israel. Once that wall of distrust and that, that wall of, um, of non-normal relations was broken down and people saw that you don't have to agree on everything, but you can still engage with one another. People, I think, across the region have understood that you can trade, you can engage with each other, you can have a dialogue even if you don't agree on everything. But business, and business is the great equalizer. It serves both sides' interests. And I think that everyone is seeing this as a positive development for the region, except for people really at the margins. Well, that is hugely significant and such a good point that you raise because it really is a win-win. So if everybody's benefiting, then other people might ask, why don't we do that? What, you know, look, look at all the good that's come from something like the Abraham Accords with the Emirates, um, like this trade agreement. So it's really it's really quite a remarkable thing that you're talking about. I will add one thing as well. People often ask me, what has been the response of the Palestinian community? What has been the response of the Israeli Arab community? And I can tell you the flights from Israel to the UAE are filled with Israeli Arabs, with Palestinians from the West Bank. Many of them are employed here now or engaging in trade themselves. It's been a real boon to the Arab sector in Israel. And I think that if you were to ask your average uh, Israeli citizen of Arab descent, you know, what's their view of the Accords? They'll tell you it's wonderful. We're planning our next vacation in, in the UAE. So a lot of the initial objections, uh, the political objections have been overtaken by a, a real embrace of the opportunity for people who live in what is Israel or who live in the West Bank to engage directly in trade, to have direct uh, flights and transportation links, and to openly have a logistics relationship with counterparts in the UAE. That's incredible. So let's just talk about the agreement for a moment that was signed on May the 31st. So you were seeing years of this kind of partnership and, and cooperation. The fact that it's now at this level that this trade agreement was signed, as I mentioned, the first of its kind between Israel and an Arab country, what does that signify? That it's not just at the people to people level, but now it's at the government to government level. Yes, I mean, I think the agreement is more reflective of what's happening than it is ne you know, a necessary catalyst to what's happening. Certainly it's gonna be a benefit, but I think it more, it's more a reflection of the progress that's been made. I will tell you the free trade agreement comes on the back of a number of other agreements, tax agreements, um, import export uh, procedures that would have been agreed, uh, travel uh, agreements around visas, but also around landing rights for private Israeli aircraft, uh, there are a lot of procedural matters that have been settled over the past few months that provide clarity that will enable the larger businesses to engage directly. IP protection, uh, recognition of Israeli certifications. These are all very important things when you speak to exporters and importers 
before they're able to unleash the full potential. When you started this council back in 2020, did you have any idea of the kind none. of... <laughs> none, I mean, none. In fact, Fleur Hassan Nahu, my partner in establishing this, called me up, um, I think it was in October or November, really two months after we had publicly launched. And she said, have you seen the numbers, the membership numbers? I said, no, she said, we have 3000 people who have written us to register for our webinars and for our meetings and for our newsletter. We have 2,500 people on Twitter. I mean, it's now grown to 8,000 people. Everyone on LinkedIn, I'm getting hundreds of invitations on LinkedIn, not to mention private emails and people somehow get my telephone number. I mean, it's be way beyond anything we could have imagined. Sometimes I say I wouldn't have gotten involved had I known it would be so successful because it's an enormous responsibility and it's a lot of work, but it's also a privilege because we see many people looking to us at the UIBC. Fleur was, uh, was last week in uh, Morocco. Um, my other colleagues, Ariel Steinreich and others are, are in Bahrain all the time. This is something that is beyond Israel and the UAE. It's something that is much, much broader. I think the UAE is a very, very important anchor for this activity because it is considered the most open and welcome and you know, it is the international biz business hub for the Middle East. But we also see this developing with other countries as well. And I'm hopeful, although not certain, that it will be as successful in other places as it is here. And the UAE is a pretty unique place. Um, Bahrain is also a very unique country with uh, an exceptional, really an extraordinary ambassador as well, who I think is, um, has created many opportunities and has brought the Israeli and uh, Bahraini communities closer. So you're seeing it in other countries. You also know how a delegation of Israeli business leaders go to Saudi. Something has been unleashed. But I think that for the foreseeable future, you know, for want of a better word, you know, ground zero for this activity is going to continue to be the UAE. It's, uh, this is really a, a unique place. And if, when you listen to the way the government ministers speak, when you listen to the official, the official tone around this, this is something they believe in. It's not a temporary thing. It's not contingent on any type of political developments. It's something they believe is in the long-term interest of the UAE. And, it's, and normalization is something that is going to take over the entire region. So we're very, uh, you know, we're, we're very encouraged by everything we see. Absolutely. And, and before I let you go, what is your vision for the future? What would you like to see? You're already seeing so much, but is what's like your most perfect scenario of what could happen years from now down the road? Look, as a citizen of the Middle East, I hope I'll be able to fly to Saudi directly from Israel sometime soon. I think there's a visionary leadership there, which is um, which has opened up a lot of things. I mean, flights to the UAE from Israel fly over Saudi airspace. I'm hopeful that the voices of opposition to normalization will quiet over time. They'll get used to it. They'll, social, they'll be socialized into what's happening. Um, but I'm also hopeful that this will extend more broadly and that uh, you know, even in Iran, which used to have wonderful relations with Israel, there will be a recognition that the future of the region is working together. It's engaging in trade regularly and it's having people-to-people -people connections that pay huge dividends when it comes to peace. Well, we will say amen and inshallah to that. And uh, hope we get to talk to you again as things progress and grow and flourish in the region and we see the benefits as we already are. With pleasure. Thank you so much, Dorian. Dorian Barak is co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council. And we thank him so much for taking the time to join us here on JBS.
And thank you as always to our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS Managing Director, Dara Golub, Transmission Manager, John McDevitt, Technical Manager, Michael Paley, and our producer, Carol Lilienthal. And thank you for watching In the News. Be well. Thank you.